Good morning. I bring greetings from my parents, the Reverends Carolyn and Robert Abrams. They wanted to be here this morning. My mom, unfortunately, has been ill, so I ask that you keep her in your prayers. Uh, my father is spending each day at the hospital visiting her and hearing all the things he's doing wrong, so keep him in your prayers as well. <laughs> when we moved here in 1989, it was when my parents accepted, accepted their call to ministry and they told us they were going to move us from Gulfport, Mississippi to Atlanta, Georgia. I was starting my 11th grade year in high school and my mom and dad sat me down before they made the decision and said, we're gonna move if you're okay with it. Uh, but we know you're just starting the last two years of high school so we can wait if you need us to. And I said, do I wanna stay in Gulfport or move to Atlanta? <laughs> I'm good, we can go, we're good, we're good. And so we piled into our car and drove from Mississippi to Georgia, moved into a tiny house in Decatur, uh, because when my parents applied to Emory, Emory provides housing. Uh, the Candler School of Theology would provide housing. They didn't realize that my parents had their own congregation. I am the second <laughs> of six children. And there was no on-campus housing that accommodated that many people. And so we lived in a house on Craigie Avenue. I tell you all this to say that we lived in Decatur. We did not live in Atlanta. And when my parents were looking for our church home, we had converted to Methodism when I was 12, but we had always attended a church that was predominantly African-American. When we came to visit St. Mark for the first time, it was after my parents had taken us to visit other churches. And this is not a community that lacks for churches, that lacks for Methodist churches, that lacks for a spirit of giving, but there was something different about St. Mark. It was small. Uh, the edifice was big, but the church congregation was small, which was much like what we grew up with in Mississippi. It was kind, which was surprising to me because the people I was in service with did not look like the churches I had attended, and I'd had some difficult experiences in my schooling in Mississippi, and so my expectations were different. But this was a kind church. This was a welcoming church, because not only was it welcoming to my family, but there was an El Salvadoran community, an immigrant community, that needed a church home, and St. Mark loaned its facility for those church services. And so again and again, as a young person, I watched this congregation that looked nothing like my expectations live the gospel I had been raised to believe. But it is that miracle that I, that I heard Josh reference that really transformed my understanding of this church. You see, growing up in southern Mississippi, there are conversations you don't have. You don't talk about homosexuality, you don't talk about identity, you don't really spend a lot of time talking about the complicated conversations that faces every day. And so I'd grown up not having discussions about these issues, not because my parents said they wouldn't talk about it, it just didn't come up. But it was here at St. Mark when the abomination of marches that started at churches on this street would come down Peachtree, reviling and castigating God's children. That I saw my parents live their faith. 
when my parents and the other members of this congregation came together and we stood out on those steps holding up signs in retribution to those who were trying to take away God's grace and we said, God loves gays, God loves you, you are welcome here. In that moment, it was this tiny black family, this predominantly white church, this non-English speaking El Salvadoran community all standing there holding signs saying, welcome. That to me is the epitome of what my faith tells me to be. And that is why I will always be a member of St. Mark United Methodist Church. Because you will forever be the place where as a young person, I had a chance to truly understand what a living faith looks like. It is one thing to post on social media, to whisper to your friends, but it is quite another in the face of scorn, in the face of a challenge to what you think you're supposed to do to stand up and say, this is not right. We must do something else. It is that spirit that drives me today. It is why I am doing some other things. <laughs> One of the 47 lilies asked me this morning. <laughs> She asked me, how do I keep going? And I talked about the fact that I, I do it because it's what I'm called to do. I do it because it's the right thing to do. I do it because I watch a lot of TV that reinvigorates me. <laughs> All of those are true. But I stand for public office. I start organizations. I get accused of things that I didn't do, and I do things that people don't understand because I believe in the faith tradition that we share. I am currently a member of Columbia Drive United Methodist Church and I bring you greetings from my pastor, Reverend Ralph Thompson. But no matter where I go, no matter where I stand, I carry the spirit of this faith with me, a faith that says that you serve those who are in need, that you shelter those who deserve deserve God's grace, that you wrap those who are pushed away, you wrap them in your arms and you hold them tight. My way of living my faith came about in part because I was deathly afraid of being called into the ministry. Reverend Cusick, when not one but both of your parents are pastors, every time you feel the spirit, you get scared. I became a tax attorney to get as far away from the calling as possible. <laughs> But what I realized is that this is my answer, that my ministry is government. My ministry is using the power of people, which is nothing, that's all government is. Government is the grace of strangers to say we will stand together with one another. We will pour our treasure in to help one another. We will give up some of our own comforts for the comforts of others. We will guarantee your liberties even if they interfere with our own. That grace is what we should expect from government. And so I stand for public office because I want to hold us accountable for living that grace every day. And while we may disagree about how it is expressed, we have to hold true to the responsibility that we take care of one another, that that is non-negotiable, that that is the truest and the most consistent through line of the Bible that the scriptures are rife with conversations about our obligations to one another and that the moment 
we cede that responsibility. Or worse, when we abdicate that responsibility, we are no longer living our faith. When Brenda reached out to St. Mark, it was an unusual request because I know that in the black community, the church is often a community space where politicians are invited to come because that was one of the safest spaces for the black community to have conversations. Because we weren't able to separate out our politics from our lived experience, everything in our lives is politics. And when I had the opportunity to come here, I wondered about how I would have this conversation. But it's easy. I'm here because I believe in who we are. I'm here because I know that we have the responsibility to do more for those who don't know that they deserve to be in this space. I grew up with parents who live their faith every day. They said, you have three jobs, go to church, go to school, and take care of each other. Go to church because our church is the place where you ground yourself in something larger than who you are, in the creator. But they also taught us that your faith is a shield to protect. It should never be a sword used to strike others down. They told us to go to school because they understood, having grown up in abject poverty and segregated Mississippi, that education is transformative. And that when you have access to it, you have access to a world you cannot imagine. And they told us to take care of each other. One of the reasons my parents chose St. Mark is that St. Mark had a homeless shelter at the height, not only of the AIDS epidemic, but at the height of the homelessness crisis. They had a homeless shelter for women and children who were too often turned away from homeless shelters in Georgia. And there was a soup kitchen that every Saturday fed everyone called the Breakfast Club. My dad would make something he called slop. <laughs> and it was delicious. We have no idea what went in it, and I believe that that's better for everyone. <laughs> But it was a meal that was hearty and filling, and what he delivered with every spoonful was not only food for people's bellies, but he gave them a sense of belonging. And I watched my father do that every Saturday, rain or shine. My mother helped run the homeless shelter, talking to women who had been victims of abuse, who'd been told that they had made too many mistakes and that they were no longer welcome where they were. She took in children, and I watched this church shelter in real time and in real ways, the lives of others. And I want to be a part of that legacy. And so I'm here to say thank you for inviting me back. I'm here to ask you to remember always in the darkest moments and the hardest times when we are so polarized by what we think the Bible tells us that we have living examples of what we are called to be. And I'm asking you to think about November not just as a political moment, but as an act of grace. We speak for those who do not believe their voices matter. We speak for those who have had their voices silenced. We speak for those who don't know what to say. And in those spaces, when we take that time, when we show up and when we bring others with us, when we tell them, yes, you too should be heard. Yes, you too deserve to be seen. Yes, your needs are just as real and just as relevant. It is a part of the legacy of this church. It is a part of the legacy of John Wesley. It is a part of the legacy of Christ. And I am honored to be in that journey and in that legacy with St. Mark. Thank you so much.